0: We threw our kids into kindergarten. They went from kindergarten through high school and public school. And as has already been said, Audrey's a petroleum engineering major at Texas A&M. And Jordan
1: Go ahead. Y'all all know you yeah. want to do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and Jordan is a film major at TCU. So anyway, this is really fun for me and Lucina to get to do things together. And I'll let her uh, uh, get us kicked off.
1: And you might turn me down. I I seem a little loud, because I'm loud anyway. I probably could take this off, and you would hear me just fine. But um, I'm just going to kind of start us off, and then Kyle's going to jump right into the um, the pitfalls themselves. But I think we live in this crazed world, especially in Dallas, Texas, where we've got to go here, go there, do this, do that, accomplish this, accomplish that. And um, it really is this tyranny, tyranny of the urgent that leads us to become Tired, stressed-out parents who do things in a way that we never intended that we would do. Um, and that therein lies the the whole issue of what we're talking about this morning. So what are some of the most common mistakes we make as parents? You had the chance to talk about some. They may or may not be on our list, but we put our heads together and said, in our experience, what were the pits the overriding things that we fell into. And I um, really love Jeff Foxworthy, and I love his take on, you know you're a redneck if, and then he goes on and gives you these scenarios. So, I just couldn't help myself. I think you know you're in a parenting pitfall if, and I'm going to give you three common scenarios, all have happened to us. If you've stopped in the middle of the conversation with your child about why they should do something, and suddenly wondered when you begin having to explain to him why, instead of the other way around, you know you're in a parenting pitfall. You know you're in a parenting pitfall when you've realized you're spending all your time picking up clothes, toys, and, well, really everything, while your child is over there on the couch watching TV, playing video games, doing the computer, You know, then you know that there's a problem. You know you're in a parenting pitfall when your daughter has just thrown herself on the floor of the toy aisle and is throwing a major temper tantrum because she can't have the toy that you told her no she couldn't have. And even more importantly, that you are doing everything in your power to get her quiet so we can move out of the store. That is a pitfall. And those are some of the things that we experienced and that we're going to try to look at in a big way today. So what we did was put together the top interrupt us. That's fine when we get to the end of each one. So Kyle's going to start us out with number 10.
0: And before I do that, just uh, one thing I wanted to mention. When Audrey was uh, two and a half years old uh, one year, we were at Thanksgiving up at Lucina's folks in uh, Broken Arrow, and we were in the backyard raking leaves, and uh the kids were playing in the leaves and having a ball and um i was intent on making sure that my pile was just right and i looked up and started looking around and i and i didn't see audrey and uh you know i thought well maybe she's under a pile of leaves and then i just started to panic was uh folks had a pool in their backyard and it had a cover on it but the cover was bowed down and full of water and I sprinted over to the pool and I saw my daughter with her head underwater and her feet sticking up. And, uh, and I jumped in and grabbed her, you know, and pulled her out. And her eyes were just this big and, and she was in shock. And I've always kept that visual uh, in my mind at the forefront because I recognize that if I'm not, uh, and I say I, if we're not purposeful and proactive and engaging, In parenting our kids, uh, it is no different than uh, me seeing her in a pit and not reacting to that immediately. And so, you know, a big aspect of all of this is just being fully engaged. And so we want to help you, as Lucina said, just being proactive in the ways that you can do that. And uh, number ten Uh, prefer the world's wisdom over God's wisdom, as you can see. Uh, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And I know many of you are uh, well-versed in the different passages in Scripture that talk about uh, what we're to do as parents, the Deuteronomy 6, uh, the Psalm 78, where we're instructed to teach our kids. And just the ways that we we know intellectually we're to separate between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. But we are so inundated in our culture with uh, just anywhere from helpful tips from a Dr. Phil or the latest book uh, that has ways that you can really set your your kids up for success. Uh, We are also influenced by our own experience, the things that we wish we could have done uh, you know, when we were kids, you know, I wish I would have been a better football player. And so there's certain things I can do to help my son really excel in sports or, you know, I didn't get to be the cheerleader. And so I'm going to help her take dance and cheer classes so that, you know, that she can experience what I didn't. And I think we just have to really be careful, too, that we are not swayed by emotion. We're constantly getting Uh, Feedback at PTA meetings, uh, at soccer fields, just hearing uh, what I should be doing to really help my kid. You guys with preschoolers, you know, these are all the things you need to be doing so that your kid is ready and sharp and, you know, can operate the math tables before they go to kindergarten. And so you say, man, I want to make sure they get a head start. And so just trying to to weave uh, and just understand all of that. And, And the big thing is just to slow down uh, and just as you process different things that you're going to plug your kids into, just make sure you run it through that grid of Scripture. And, and what we've seen for us is really, as a subheading of this, there's really two major traps. And the first one is just schedules that are overcommitted and rule the family. And the second one is trying to help my kids get in with the right you know, group of other kids. Uh, and Lucina's going to talk a little bit later about some of the things that we did to make sure that our schedule was not ruled by activities and sports uh, and different things like that and how we evaluated what we allowed our kids to be involved in but just to give you an example you know and, and usually it's just all good stuff but when Jordan was um, I think he was in sixth or seventh grade you know he would started playing t-ball and moved up to machine pitch and then was in the kid pitch and the next level, you know, when you get to seventh grade is you're you're in kid pitch where you can take lead-offs and steal bases and that kind of thing. And one evening, uh, we got a call. You know, I got a call from a, a friend of mine who had a team, and these were all really good kids. And he said, hey, we'd love to have Jordan play with us next year on our team. And I said, great. Jordan loves baseball. I'm sure uh, he'd love to to uh, consider that I said just help before I talk to him just help me understand the commitment that you guys are looking for so we can wrestle through that and he said well we're going to try and practice four days a week and then we'll play one or two games a week and I said okay uh, I'll sit in and Jordan and I'll talk about that so I I sat Jordan down and I just said hey you know explain to him what the opportunity was and uh, he looked at me and he said well Dad, when will I get to play? (laughs) And I said, well, Jordan, that's a great question. (laughs) I'm not sure when you would get to play. And uh, he said, I'm not sure. I want to play baseball every day. And I said, I think you are really processing this well. I'm not sure if I were you that I would want to do that either. And so uh, we ended up opting out, and that was the end of Jordan's baseball career. He was a pitcher. He was a good player. But it was like, hey, the level required... Uh, is really beyond what uh, he felt like was wisdom for him. And so, but, you know, again, it's usually those good things, the opportunities that you have. Uh, The other aspect I mentioned is just, you know, encouraging your kids to hang out with the popular kids. And this starts when they're one year old because you want to make sure you get invited to the right birthday parties. You know, so-and-so's having a birthday, and, you know, we want to make sure that little Susie and little Tommy get to go. And, uh, you know, what you don't realize is you are setting in motion just a pressure on your kids because, you know, when they get in school, you want to make sure that they get invited to the school dances. And, uh, you know, when they get in high school, you want to make sure they get invited to the right-after, you know, game parties. And then it's homecoming and prom. And it just results in tremendous pressure and just setting your kids up for a fall. And we were very fortunate that we got to work through a lot of this uh, when our kids were young. And just, you know, integrating what's a healthy approach to dating. Uh, And our kids had very healthy relationships Uh, But, you know, they decided early on just what that was going to look like. And again, having other folks help us. And and it ended up, uh, Audrey never went to a uh, homecoming or prom, I guess, until her senior year. And Jordan, his senior year prom, uh, took his sister. And then uh, his freshman year in college, he was in a fraternity, and they had one of these, you know, formal deals, and he took his sister that too. And so, again, it's just setting up a, a grid and starting early for how you're going to handle uh, all these different things about trying to help uh, move your kids into the right group of folks.
1: I'm going to just say something about that, because I think the pressure um, on this whole popularity thing is greatest for the moms. I think the dads have a much better perspective about this. And um, I grieved when late junior high years and um, freshman, sophomore year, when my son, it started because he's the oldest, wasn't invited to things. That he, you know, guys that he was best friends with elementary school up through those first middle school years, and that popular crowd kind of separated and started the girl-boy parties at sixth and seventh grade, and we said, well, you're not going to do that. And so the paths began to go like this, and then he didn't get invited. And um, Kyle kept telling me, This is wisdom. And it's so hard to hear others doing things and your kid is at home. And it is hard, but it is best. There's no question in hindsight as I look back. And he still doesn't date yet. And you know what? He may be 30 years old when he gets married. And that will be great. That's going to be the greatest thing. (laughs) Because he's not ready to get married, I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> that I do know right now. So, um, and it's going to be a while. He's got a lot of lessons to learn. And so, again, had Kyle given in to my, well, he should go to this or go to that, or, you know, that desire for him to be in the crowd. And, and I'm like, well, then he needs some friends that are girls. I mean, what's wrong with that? And that line between friends that are girls and girlfriends is, woo, you know, and so. Um, Really, really, women, I would just encourage you. You're gonna have to swim a, upstream in that battle because we're relational and we wanna, we want that. And uh, man, to have your kid home on Friday night and Saturday night in high school, it's a great thing. It's not a bad thing. So, uh,
0: number nine, indulge in a life of luxury versus one of responsibility. Uh, and this we've got. I mean, there's a jillion verses we could put in here. We've got the First Timothy six, uh, six through ten. First Timothy six is just a great book on this whole realm. Godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For you brought nothing into this world, and we can't take anything out. If you have food and, clo- and clothing, with these you shall be content. And the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Uh, you know, the reality is we live in a self-indulgent, entitlement uh, Christian culture—not just culture, but Christian culture. And you know, a common pitfall, generally, you know, that you, that it happens early on is we want again, we want the best for our kids. We want our kids to get to go. You know, when the new movie comes out, you know, we want to go on the opening and we go and, you know, we get them Cokes and candy and popcorn and, you know, we want, it's because we love our kids and we want them to experience the fun of that. And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it, but it accelerates to uh, birthday and Christmas where, you know, we get them everything we want. And if we don't, the grandparents do, you know, it's probably more about managing the grandparents than anything. Uh... And, you know, it just leads to a heart of indulgence. And really, because our culture uh, is so um, uh, self-indulgent, you really have to be proactive, just like all of these, at uh, trying to help your kids. And I, you know, one of the things for me and Lucina, you know, 99% of our culture, uh, I mean, of us, regardless of where you live, you know we're in the we're in the top 99% in the whole world. And for us, we both Lucina and I both grew up uh, in what I think you would define as lower middle class families. Both our parents married when they were 18. Uh, you know, my parents married because my dad got my mom pregnant in high school, and so that was the start of our childhood. And you know, Lucina's uh, dad dropped out of school in eighth grade uh, and her parents didn't go to college and so we we didn't grow up I guess in what you would consider uh, indulgent but uh, you know I look at the struggle that we have given the background that we have and how hard it is for me and, and what do I expect from my kids you know because they've grown up around a whole lot more indulgence and entitlement than I have and yet I have to be so we have to be so proactive just helping Uh, continue to grow in that realm Um, we uh, you know it's funny as our kids were you know Lucina and I did a number of things and Lucina taught on this so you can go back and listen to it but uh, you know when our kids were eight years old uh, we started to see that all these kids got cars you know when they're 16 and so we felt like you know we need to sit our kids down early and just let them know hey when you guys are old enough Mom and Dad aren't going to buy you a car. And just, we we want to go ahead and and go on the record right now. And, of course, they're eight and nine. And and, uh, I said, you guys are going to need to work and save money. And I just want to, you know, give you advance notice. And it was so funny because a couple of weeks later, uh, Jordan came home from school. And uh, apparently that stuck with him. And he said, uh, hey, Dad, uh, Jimmy, his dad... Is going to buy him a car when he turns sixteen. Jimmy lived down the street, and Jordan would walk to school with him. And uh, and I said, Jordan, that is really uh, great for Jimmy. And I said, one of the things I want to, I said, one of the things I want to encourage you to do is get to know Jimmy's dad as well as you can. But I'm not sure it's going to work for you. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure he fully understood that, but. Uh, um, But one of the the greatest counters to this mentality that Lucina and I did is, as I look back, you know, number one, we were real purposeful at getting our kids out of the country. Uh, You know, we use our vacations to serve in different places. I think when our kids were, what, eight, nine, we took them to Russia and took them to China and took them to Africa. Uh, But there's so much we can even do here. We we started early on uh, just going to the, we took a night at the Union Gospel Mission when our kids were, I don't know, yeah, eight or nine years old, and we'd go down there every month. And as a family, we would serve, and we'd let them just hang out and get to know the guys and develop a love for folks that just come from a different background than we do. We'd use that as a way to talk, to about how you get to where you are, and it was great. Some of the guys would share their journeys because they see kids, and they want to engage with them and help them to see where they got off track. You know, the stuff we're doing with... uh, uh sequoia and west dallas and uh there's so many great things but again you got to be purposeful to just engage uh and to move forward in that uh we've always expected our kids to work uh in the summers um as soon as they were old enough we brought them in very early on on how we stewarded our resources as soon as we felt like they could handle it uh, they were part of our family discussions and what resources we had, and how we gave those and stewarded those, and just learning that just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that's Romans uh, 14 and 15, but again, just how do you figure that out, uh, how you're going to utilize uh, the, the things that you have.
1: I'm going to back up for a second to his comment about, because you may be thinking in your mind, okay, so how did they get from 8 years old to 16 and buy a car? Um, So I'm just going to back up for a moment and comment on that, because what Kyle didn't tell you is in that proclamation of we're not going to do it for you and we're going to encourage you to start, what he also went on and said then was we're going to match whatever you do set aside. So as they got the $100 from the grandparents as a gift, then if they gave it to Kyle, if they gave it to dad, he put $100 with it. And so, and if they worked, and then they gave him the money, he matched it. And so, essentially, they bought half a car, but we don't talk about that now. I mean, in their mind, again, they, because it was their money, and they got to choose how to steward that and how to use it. So we tried to create an incentive to save and, and give them a method, a methodology to do that. Um, So it it did result in one of them buying a used car with, just found an incredible deal, 16,000 miles. The other one, 80,000. And that's how she started, and we're just hoping it gets her through college. So there you go. Okay, so number eight, you know you're in a pitfall if. Um, or another key pitfall is depriving your child of the chance to fail and the the references that we've got there there's a couple for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant how many of us can relate to that but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it from Hebrews 12.11 or again in Ecclesiastes 8.11 get out your pen because I'm going to ask you to mark this out when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out the hearts of the mark out people the Parts of the children are filled with schemes to do wrong. Now, those of you that have a two year old, I don't have to explain this. You know exactly what I mean. So it doesn't take long when there are not rails to run on that a little kid just runs with it. They just do. I mean, no comes out of their mouth faster than anything. And so you see, left alone and unto itself, where this goes. So what does this look like? Again, I'm speaking mostly to the women in the group here, and I'm going to tell you I think this is most difficult for the moms in the group. Why? Because we want our kids to succeed. We want them to be successful. And really, when you strip it all away, what this pitfall becomes is helicopter mom to the rescue. Just write that over the top. That's what this is. And personally, I I can tell you that I struggled. In the past and sometimes still do with this particular pitfall. And more than once, I took homework or lunch money to a child who had left it behind rather than letting him or her suffer the natural consequence of that action. And in hindsight, what I can tell you is it would not have killed Jordan, to have gotten a zero on his elementary school homework. And instead, he might possibly have learned to um, think before he acted. He might learn to plan and set things aside the night before. I can't imagine, even still. But anyway, he might have learned that. He might have learned to pay attention to some details that he didn't. So what we hope for every child is that they do grow to that. That's growing from immaturity to maturity. And it is a process. And it begins by you not rescuing them out of the little things, the little bitty devils that will just become bigger and bigger as they age. So as painful as it's going to be, Mom, for you to let your child fail, I recommend heartily that you do it early on and, and just bite the bullet and just say, it's not going to hurt him to get a zero on that paper. I don't care what the teacher said. And just know you know, that that he or she is going to be much better for it. And then the other thing with that I would say is you're going to have to, what I struggle with as well, is not taking that failure personally. Because what do we do? Oh, what are they going to think? What's the teacher going to think of me? I don't know how many of you were, were or are teachers out there, but what I know now from my friends that are teachers, my sister was a teacher, is, they love the parents that let that happen. They're not saying, I can't believe Lucina Thompson let her kid come to school without a paper. I can't believe she has a, what a worthless kid she's got, and she's letting him get a zero. The teachers aren't saying that. They're like, oh, my gosh, someone who's letting him paddle his own canoe early on so that he can learn to be responsible and uh, mature. And so um, don't take it personally. There, there's the toughest part is we think it's a, it's a reflection of our parenting ability, and, and it is, and it, and it reflects well when you let them fail. And my example for this really is right now, it's this past summer, because here I have Jordan, who is a film major at TCU, and he is creative from head to toe. There is just nothing um, structured in him. You know, he's an artist, he's a musician, he's a filmmaker, he's a, you know, He is not a numbers man, he is not a mathematician, he is not a scientist, he does not plan, he does not think ahead, he does not do all those things that his dad and his sister do so well. He's on the other side. You know, if there's a box, let me jump out of it, you know, because I am going to do something different than the box. I mean, that is just who he is. He also is a night owl. And those of you that are closer to college than those of us that aren't, I mean, it's no surprise that at 11 o'clock we get on the phone to all of our friends and we start deciding what we're going to do. And it just blows my mind. So he would roll in in the summer a lot like at 3 and 4 in the morning. Now, he had a little job for a short time because he did some school stuff at the beginning of summer and at the end. So he had, you know, five weeks of a job, not even that much. But the job he had to be there at 7.30 in the morning. And that's really tough when you roll in at three or four. It's really hard. And I had to fight every urge within me. When I could hear in his room, ah, 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 I could hear the alarm going on and on and on, and he wouldn't budge. And he was late on more than one occasion. Now, let's add to the story that the person he was working for happens to be a Watermark member. Someone we know and love, who has a video production company, and um, this just—he was late on more than one occasion. As a matter of fact, one time he fell asleep on the job, and this wonderful guy, Paul Stellick, had to have a conversation with Jordan, and he had to say, "Bud, you can't do this in life, and you—you you, got to do things differently, and this just—it won't fly." And um, it was one of those heart-to-hearts that. Jordan would not have heard coming from me, but heard better. That will help him become a man, hopefully, who will be responsible and who will be the type of employee someday that someone will want. So um, (laughs) there we go. All right, um, pitfall number seven. So what is pitfall number seven? It is that you you will be in a pit if you value your child's performance over his heart. And I love this psalm. Oh, Lord, um, open my hips and my lips and my mouth. Don't do that. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Open my lips. Wow, that was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? Don't tell that to your little girls because you don't want that happening. Okay, so, oh, Lord, open my lips. And my mouth to declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. No, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, Lord, you will not despise. So, so counterintuitive. I I just never get this. This is really hard for me still that brokenness is far better to God than success than being the superstar. Now, how does this play out, and how does this look in life? Well, have you ever noticed in Dallas, Texas, how we don't have average kids? There just aren't any average kids in Dallas. We have superstars, and if you doubt it, just drive down Central Expressway, and you'll see the bumper starter. My kid is a star student at blah, 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 or whatever. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter. The fact is, all across the board, whether it's sports or scholastics or name the area, we have superstars. We're all about that. Because that's what the culture says. That's what we should be. That's what we should create. And all of our efforts should go into creating a superstar. Really? Wow. Don't know if you've been to an elementary school soccer field lately, but if you want to see this pitfall played out in living color, just go and stand on the sidelines and watch. And what you will see is parents at a four, five, and six-year-old, I mean, pick the youngest age, at which kids can play soccer and go and stand on the side. And you will see some parents, sorry dads, but now I'm going to rag on you because a lot of times it's the man on the sideline screaming, get the ball, run down there, get the ball. I mean, hey, hey, hey. You know, I mean, he's yelling all these directions at his 4, 5, and 6-year-old child about how to be the star stu- athlete on the field. Oh, my goodness. And these are little bitty kids that can't even figure out where the ball is, let alone what to do with it. And so... The issue is we've got to be strong enough to swim, again, upstream against the current and the tide to value heart over performance. Um, and again, I blew it in this area. I'm going to just tell you some of the ways where I blew this. And, and um, they're just insidious little things that you can say in elementary school, junior high school, where um, you suddenly realize oh, I'm caught because what I would do sometimes when I wasn't Seeing or getting the um, end result that I thought we were headed for is I would compare. Well, so-and-so over here does blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's awful. That is an awful pitfall. Do not compare your child to another. That is valuing how they perform versus looking at their heart. Don't do it. I did it. Um, when I wanted to do some, them to do something, I would become impatient and expect them to respond instantly. Now, again, first-time obedience, I'm for that, but there is a point at which you begin to value the, their performance versus trying to figure out why they're not doing what you're asking them to do, and let's look at the heart of this child, not just the action I'm getting out of him or her. Or looking for good grades and a good report card instead of, Hey, what'd you learn today? Hey, what are you learning? How's that going? Instead of, again, always going to the bottom line and, well, what's a C? What'd you get a C? we, We reviewed those spelling words last night. You knew them really well. I've got one kid who tests brilliantly with not, never had to say a word to this one. Then I have another one who we could review all night long. And the child still, to this day, has test anxiety, does not test well. And um, you, can't, you can't look to what the test score necessarily says. You've got to go, does this child know this material? And be okay. Sometimes a C is the best grade and we should be celebrating over that for that child versus the other and never comparing one child in a household against another. You can't do that. So none of those will give you the outcome that you're looking for. But instead, what you get, if that is the way you parent, you will get a performer, not a transformer. And what happens, let me just take you from preschool to college, what will happen is you send that performer off to college who has yes, ma'am, and and this happens in manners. We start again and hear me. I'm not saying we shouldn't expect good manners, but I can remember times where I had this child, Audrey, who is painfully shy as a child. She would hang on to the back of my skirt and stand behind me, and we would say, "Look him in the eye, Audrey. Say hello, Mrs. Bagdanoff. Say hello, Audrey." You know, and she'd be standing back here like you know, and just panic-stricken on her face. Now, of course, Jordan would be, hey, how you doing? What's going going? I mean, you know, he's just out there talking to everybody and schmoozing, with, but she's over here, don't make me say hello. Please don't make me. And it was a process, because if we continued to demand that out of a child for whom it was, we, we needed to say, this is where we're headed. But if you continue to value performance, then when that child leaves your house, I'm not saying there will be, but there may be a time in which that kid says, done, I'm done performing for you. And what that looks like is rebellion open and full. And you look at your spouse and you, what happened? What happened here? I mean, he or she was such a great kid. They did all the things we asked. Maybe so, but maybe it was out of performance and not out of heart. And that's not what you want. So Audrey, as I said, was a Very shy child. She was the compliant one out of the house. Thank goodness we had the other one, so we could know really clearly. It wasn't anything we were doing. So... um and as such, you know, she was the polar opposite of her brother. She was a brilliant student. He was a brilliant athlete. And just take that and run on down in any way how they were different. So we were especially proud of Audrey when uh, going into high school, she chose to try out for the cross-country team. Because, again, athletics were not necessarily her specialty at that point. And, um, but it was a great team, a great group of girls. This, would be, this was going to be great. And um, so she went out. She made the team. And... Um, On her first cross-country meet that we went to, we cheered as loudly as we could. But regardless of how loudly we cheered, Audrey came in dead last from her school. Not at the entire meet. I think there was one or two persons behind her. but, But she was the last one from her high school to cross the line. And... That just comes with tons of emotions and things that she felt. But you know what? We were celebrating. We were cheering loudly because for her, this is a huge accomplishment. Now, again, in the Dallas scheme of things, coming in last, not something you really are going to be celebrating. But we did. And, and we had to work hard to help her see what a great achievement and accomplishment this is. It may not look like it to anybody else, and you may not feel like it. That's why you can't trust how you feel. And we have to say, look how far you've come from where you were. This is a great thing to celebrate because we know your heart went all out today. And that's a great thing, and that's what you want. And so I I will say not all of these, were, but a great book on this subject is called Shepherding Your Child's Heart. And if you just want a reference, a recommendation, I would um, jot that one down and recommend that in this area. Um, Okay, number six pitfall, what is it? And it is controlling rather than leading your child. Now, this is two parts. Um, I'm going to speak to the women first about this, and then, Kyle, so glad you men are in this. Room, because there's a key part of this that applies to you. And you see that in the two scriptures we pointed out. We pointed out a Mac, a Mark 10 first, and, and then we, of course, went to the great passage on to fathers, and Kyle's going to speak to that from Ephesians, about not exasperating your children, but bringing uh, them up in training and instruction of the Lord. And so for the women, that, that Mark 10, that Jesus called them to him and said, You know that those who, um, that those who are supposed to rule over the Gentiles lord it over them. Lord it over them. There's the control. It's lording over. When you lord over someone, you are oppressing them. You are forcing them to do something. You are not leading them. It's oppression. It's ruling by oppression. That's what Jesus was speaking to him. And their great men exercise authority, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first must be slave to all. So women, I think for us, How this plays out um, really goes back to the fall. It goes back to Genesis. And all of us sitting in this room, women, we are daughters of Eve. And as such, we suffer a consequence of the fall. And when you go to Genesis 3, what you see is that passage in Genesis 3.16 where um, God is proclaiming the, the consequence of the fall to Eve. And what he tells her is, you will bear your children with much pain, intense pain and suffering, and your desire will be for your husband, but he will be your master. Now, everybody thinks, oh, desire—you know—that's like the physical thing, back to the hips, still, and it's not, you know. And there may be some of that, but that is not what is spoken of here as well. What really is intended there, because you look at the master portion of it, what you desire women is power and position in relationship it's a relational issue and um, you desire control because let's face it I mean we know what's best right and so immediately as you marry that's one of the things you deal with in becoming one with a spouse but let me tell you, it doesn't end there. And so that desire for control over your husband spills over as you have children, and it is a desire to control your children in the same way. And it, it might look a little bit different, but it's the same kind of thing, just...
0: ...realm, uh, you have an opportunity to lead in. it again, that model of leading by serving, by affirming, by encouraging, by valuing, you know, by celebrating their giftedness... Uh, and it is, a, it is a hard area because I do tend to be a, a controller. That's what I, you know, I'm a performer and I want to control. And it was funny because Jordan, uh, you know, we still get to do this. Jordan called me Saturday afternoon. And, uh, you know, he's at TCU and it's Saturday. And he said, hey, Dad, I need to ask you a question. I said, great. He said, uh, the guys are going to the lake. They invited me to go and I told him I'd go and these are good guys. Uh, and tomorrow I've got stuff all day on Sunday. Uh, and so I'm not going to have a lot of time and I've got all these school projects to do. So, uh, I'm not going to have time to study, which for him to think a day ahead was just <laughs> incredible. Uh, he said, uh, what do you think I ought to do? Uh, cause I told him I made a commitment that I was going to go to the lake with these guys. And I said, Jordan, that is a great question. And I am so encouraged You know, what I wanted to do is say, well, here's what you need to do. And why would you even think about going to the lake? You know, mom and I spend a thousand dollars in tuition to that that school that there's nothing Christian about Texas Christian University. You know, I want to I want to go off on him. And I just I thought, you know, that is so great. And I said, you know what? I think you're thinking through that really well. And uh, uh, I'd encourage you just to wrestle through what do you think you ought to do? Of course then he I find out later then he calls mom <laughs> <laughs> and fortunately she gave him the same answer you know just affirming yeah. him but uh, <laughs> this does not stop when your kids turn 12 years old uh, you know I try to I try to regularly uh, because I am uh, capable and have a history of telling and coercing and cajoling our kids I try to be I recognize I've got to be proactive at affirming and celebrating them. And, uh, you know, I try to regularly write our kids notes and just remind them of things that I see in them, that uh, ways they're maturing, ways that God is growing them. Uh, I, I try to share with them things that I'm wrestling with. And I actually, the first week of school, last week, I wrote each of them a note. They'd been home this summer and just, just uh Reflecting on some of the things that I was really encouraged by that I saw in them this summer, and just the ways that they are maturing. So again, just going back to that Mark 10 uh, and looking at what it means to really lead. You know, by serving, uh, encouraging, and affirming your kids, and getting in the habit of doing that now. And again, letting them letting them go through the process, even though you know what the right answer should be.
1: I'm going to just jump in and interrupt him for a second. And for you, in preschool, what does that look like? Um, I think it starts then. We started way back then um, packing the lunch in elementary school, and I would put a little note in there. Um, Going off to sleepover somewhere, put a little note in their bags. When they open it up, oh, that's so sweet. So, um, you know, um, begin early doing those things. And just think in your own mind how you feel when someone writes you a note or a card, how much it means. So, what a great, you know that it will do the same. As soon as that child is able to read, mm-hmm. begin to give them simple affirmations um, early, early on.
0: Okay, we're going to have to speed up because we have five more. Go, and We don't want to leave 30 minutes of questions, so I'll go faster. <laughs> uh, number five, resu- refuse to model uh, or ask for forgiveness. And again, you know, this Matthew 7 verse, which is, you know, why it, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Uh, and not see the log in your own, own eye, or wh- how can you say to your brother, "Let me take the uh, speck out of your eye"? When behold the log in a, your in your eye, you hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your eye. And as Lucina mentioned early, earlier, just the whole uh, you know nagging our kids, uh, especially in the context of, of us walking around with a two by four, you know and uh, in our eye when we're constantly riding them and on them. And, you know, this is the, the great thing about teaching grace and teaching forgiveness. Um, it's, it, there's no better way to teach that than to model it. And let your kids experience grace. Let them see firsthand the ways that they've got two imperfect parents uh, that fail and how, they, how you, you own that how you work through conflict in a way that restores that relationship, and just, you know, the picture of going uh, to folks in humility. That is true in, uh, I think, first and foremost, too, in them getting to see their mom and dad do that. You know, they see us react. They see us respond. Okay, so what's dad going to do? Is he going to own that? Is he going to go back and clean that up? Uh, or is he just going to, you know, let that stink just stay there? And sometimes what we'll do when our kids see that happen, even though we might work through that uh, in private, I'll go back and tell the kids, how I just want to, because you guys witnessed this and saw it. I just want you to know uh, that I went back and asked your mom for forgiveness and specifically what I did. And uh, you know, this summer. Uh, Jordan moved back in, it's one one of the tough things, again, is it's the beauty of having your kids gone, you know, for a while, but then when they move back in, it's so hard because you fall back into the patterns because I think, oh my goodness, is this what he does with his time? (laughs) And so I want to get back to nagging and, uh, you know, helping him, uh, telling him what he should be doing in a very unhelpful way. And, uh, you know, he, he moved back in and, and I could see I was doing this and he was bowing up. And the more he's bowing up, the more I want to control and let him know, you know, again, the wisdom and uh, <laughs> in a very manipulative way. And, uh, you know, he and I were just not doing well relationally. And I uh, uh, one uh, Saturday afternoon, I just said, hey, uh." Let, let's go to Starbucks. I, I'd love to talk to you. And I know Jordan thought, okay, we're going to go to Starbucks. And Dad's going to get his list out, you know, and he's going to get me away. And I, I just said, you know what, I, I love you so much. And I I want to help you so bad. And I said, you, and, and I'm so proud and encouraged by the decisions that you're making, the boundaries, you know, the ways that you've chosen to do things different. Um, and I said, you know that the decisions you make from... 18 to 22 really impact the next 20 years of your life. And that's why I want to be so purposeful in helping you in the ways that, you know, Poppy, which is my dad, you know, was not able to help me. And uh, I said, but I am just really whiffing here. And I have discouraged you. I have nagged at you. And I just said, man, would you forgive me? Because I'm not helping you at all. And it, it was so great because it was, you know, by me owning that... Then we were able to then restore that relationship, and Jordan to say, "Man, I just want to just want to help you." And then I just said, "Hey, would you help me? Because I want to I, I want to help you. What What can I do to help you?" And then he gave me just two or three things. He said, "Dad, here's some things that you can do." Uh, and so then he also gave me permission uh, to help him in those ways. So again, just um, you know, being proactive. I, I uh, uh, well, I'm I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell another story. I'm right time. Go ahead.
1: If there's time at the end, you can yeah, come back okay. to that one. Okay, what's uh, the pitfall number four? And it is expecting others to instill a passion for Christ in your kids. And there's that great passage from Deuteronomy that we are the ones that are responsible for um, talking of the ways of the Lord with our child when they sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise up. And so... Um, How does that play out? And why is that so tough right here? Well, because we're the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. Then we're right here in the middle of great churches. You happen to be in one that we think is knocking it out of the park. Um, Around us are great private Christian schools. You have K-Life. You have Young Life. You have incredible Christian camps all around you um, that are affordable for the most part. um, That... Kids, where kids are built into spiritually in a great and po- powerful and mighty way. So it would be very easy for you to go on autopilot and go, well, they're getting all of this, and so it doesn't really matter what we do every day. But it does. We can't leave this alone and not do the things that, um, that wisdom would have us do in our own, inside of our own home. And I think the best time and place to instill this passion for Christ um and it is also is that great passage about training your child up in the way he should go so when he is old and that training begins right now. If you've got a one or two year old, it's right now. It's surrounding and bathing their young lives in things of God, things of the Lord. And that is, there's incredible, I would tell you the names of some of the CDs we listen to, but see, CDs gives away right now that I'm way old school and there's not even such a thing that you listen to anymore. And so um, whatever it is, whatever the current music is, Find it. Go to the Christian store. Ask Patrick right here. What should my kid be listening to? You know, what should I be playing? And I guarantee you, he can give you some great music designed to preschool kids. We loved the Adventures in Odyssey series. They were incredible. Now, again, in in our world, they were cassette tapes. And it was great because we plugged them in the car. And even when we finally got the big, bulky TV that just sat in the middle between the seats and, like, they got to watch a movie, um, which was such a unique thing, and, you know, now they're in the back of your seat headrest and all that. That was all really new even in our – so we kind of had this deal, and we said, okay, we are going to talk when we had a long trip. We're going to talk as a family for – here's the deal. You're going to get to watch a movie or maybe two if we were going to Colorado or whatever. But before that, we're going to talk as a family – they love those, you know. Here's the question for the day. On oh, they roll their eyes. All right, great. Um, we're going to talk, and we're going to have a story. And maybe Kyle, even though he's not gifted creatively, he's a great storyteller. And and it maybe they would get one of Dad's stories that he would create. So, um, which is so awesome for them. But maybe it was Adventures in Odyssey, and they would hear that story, and we would plug the cassette in, and we would listen because there's a great principle and a great. Um, truth that is taught in that. So whatever it is, um, do those things. Start them now. Surround your child with it. Bathe them with it so that they hear it. Because the world will jump in there sooner rather than later and begin to steal away those mind. You want to fill their mind while you can, with all you can while you can. And then just know that um, that you're going to get lots of teachable moments. And they begin again in preschool, but they go all the way we still have them. And so they might look, at, look like um, at five years old you're cutting their apple for whatever, the seeds fall out, and you begin to talk about sex. And you say, oh, there's seeds in there. Did you know you came from a seed too? And you've already stepped into oh, talking about sex. And it's so simple and easy. But that's a great way to begin To begin those conversations. It's using the teachable moment. It's using whatever's around you. And it's not being afraid of any of it. And that then translates all the way to, and I'm going to tell you the real things that were said, that because there was the freedom and we began talking about those things and using those teachable moments when our kids were little, that began to... um, carried through to middle school when Jordan came home, sixth grade, around the dinner table at night, and he said, what's a blowjob? And we all were like, okay, let Nicole and I look at each other and try not to, where did you hear that from? And instead, you just kind of, well, why do you ask? I mean, you know, isn't that what everybody talks about at their dinner table? Um. So you know, it it just carries itself all the way through to literally the conversation where Jordan just called me recently and said, "I'm in a sociology class, and I can tell I am an island unto myself because they're talking about family and definition of family and and homosexuality, which I'm telling them I love. I've got family members that are that are." um living that lifestyle, but I'm not going to choose it as a family option. He goes, how do I defend that? Because I want to stand up and say something, but clearly I am in the and, and then the abortion thing. He goes, and then that one came up too, and it's a woman's right to choose, and so he's struggling. And so great, what a teachable moment. And so we're still having them. So as our children grew, one of the greatest opportunities to do this, to capture this, etc., especially starting elementary school on, was around the dinner table. And for us, we had a dis- we made a decision that dinner time was non-negotiable five days a week. Now come the weekend, woohoo! We're going to go out. We're going to, you know, we're going to. It's going to look different. But every night, weeknight, we had dinner at five thirty or six o'clock. We sat down around the dinner table, and this was a great time to debrief the day, to talk about, um, you know, the download and, and how was your day and what happened and how'd it go. And we and there was no topic that was off. You know no subject that was off topic or that wasn 't allowed, and so this is a great a great thing, but you will have to work to protect it because there 's going to be soccer practice and this practice and that practice, and we might have to adjust the time, but I just really encourage you to take that back, make it make it non negotiable i think it 's the greatest thing mm-hmm. we did. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and making decisions, just defending that time. It helped me because I wouldn't commit to go to a reception or to, you know, if I was going to travel. You know, I was either going to figure out a way to get back or that's something Lucene and I would talk about. And, again, just that way it gets back on the plate and you get to process it. Um, Number three, resisting, uh, allowing others to help you parent. This is, you know, the community 101, just inviting others in. Uh, and recognizing that we all need help and I look back and am so thankful uh, that Lucina and I uh, invited others in at a time that was really critical for our kids and, and us as parents. The Ecclesiastes verse, the two are better than one and you know a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Uh, abundance of counsel, there's victory. Uh, and you know one of the big things for me was just having, you know, community with folks that were wired differently than me that really helped set me up uh, to be able to parent a son that was wired completely different than me and to value the way he was gifted. Uh, As Lucina said, you know, Audrey's a machine. She's disciplined, proactive. You know, she manages her time, uh, spiritual disciplines, you name it. And Jordan's just, you know, he is gifted relationally. He loves people. He's carefree. He's creative. He's extroverted. Uh, and just all the things that I'm not, and so I have the potential to oppress and crush him. And uh, so again, just having other folks really help and engage us in how we parent, um, and and also having those folks directly involved with our kid. That's kids. That's been a great, uh, just a blessing for us. That uh, you know the different the purity ceremonies, the manhood. You know, those guys and women would stand up uh, because of first-person activity and involvement uh, with their kids. We had a, uh, I'll, I'll throw this in real quick, you know, uh, the first time, um, and, and we're going to talk about technology a little bit, but the first time I went upstairs and, you know, we kept computers in an open room, and Jordan's got looking at pornography, and I walk in, and you kind of like, oh, my goodness, And uh, so how are you going to deal with that? And so, you know, Jordan and I sat down and we worked through that. And I just said, hey, Jordan, you know that I've got uh, four other men in my life that help me as a dad. And I I want nothing more than to help you. And Jordan was fortunate because he got to see, you know, in our environment, he gets to see, you know, what that looks like at 15 and what it looks like at 25 and 35. And it just gets uglier and uglier and uglier. And I said, "I, you know, I want to help you. In the same way, I didn't have anybody helping me, but I'm, I need these guys to help me. And so uh, as we worked through that, I said, I'm going to share it with them, uh, but but I just want to let you know in advance that they're going to help me. And he said, okay. And so by, doing, by him knowing and then me having those guys help me wrestle through how I was going to help him, that it also gave them an opportunity to engage with Jordan in that realm. And so... You know, just inviting, you know, that, that may sound a little bit scary. And, again, it, it's a great reminder of just our kids are going to do all kinds of things. And just am I going to allow others to help me or am I going to try and manage that information? Uh, Audrey has a guy pursuing her uh, right now down at A&M. And, uh, you know, I'm being very purposeful in how I help her in, in, in a way that she's invited me in and how I help this guy. But it's great because the guy's... Folks in our community also are being purposeful. And a number of them have met the guy and uh, engaged with him. And so it is a great protection just to have others uh, walk through with you uh, all the many different issues that you're going to be faced with.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, Number two, you know you're in a pitfall if you elevate your child above everything else, including God. Um, and we know the great verse is, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. And we can then even back up all the way to Deuteronomy and see the, the very great principle that's set up in the, in the Ten Commandments, that you shall have no other, no other gods before me from Deuteronomy. So what does that look like? Well, it's really easy, moms, to let your world revolve around your children. And it starts the minute you bring that baby home. And um, there are some great books and some great wisdom out there about how to get your child on a schedule, blah, 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 da, da, da. And um, hear me clearly on this. I am not saying a schedule is wrong or evil with your children. However, if the schedule begins to control you, then, then there is a problem. And if you can't get involved in things that will give you life because it might mess up my child's nap or whatever... Again, in hindsight, let me tell you, your children are way more adaptable than you are giving them credit for. And my goodness, if you need to be fed spiritually, go do it, and it will be okay. Now, not every day of the week it wouldn't, but if it's one day a week, again, process through that with others and find out, you know, can I make an exception here, and then feel free to make the exception um, and do so. So children um, are adaptable. and and they will uh, be pliable in in this area. The opposite played out over time can become a a huge problem and again, so if we begin to cater to them, um, beginning when they come home from, from the hospital, if we continue that pattern all the way through, it becomes a huge problem. And this is where we get lives that are over-scheduled, over all around the kids' stuff. And all you got to do is ask your friends with kids in middle school what their life looks like. And listen to, well, we got music lessons at this time, and then we got the soccer practice at this time, and then we got to go to blah, 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 and then our tutors at this time. And you're thinking, wait, where's the downtime? Uh, I.e., Jordan's, where, when am I going to play? because in 7th grade I still need to play. It's not over. I still need that as a guy or a girl for that matter. So, you know, there there are kid activities and kid sports and kid um spiritual things that will rule your life if you let them. And you've got to be the ruler over them. And you've got to be the one to say how much is too much um, and, and, and what is a reasonable, expectable amount that won't interfere with the dinner time that we've set. So set your parameters now and then fit the activity in. And if the activity won't fit, don't manage everything around it so we can do X. Do it the other way. Figure out what it is and then decide, okay, yeah, we've got a little time for this or for that. Um, I think the other thing here is it's really easy women, I'm going to speak to you again, to elevate your children over your husband, over that primary relationship. And it's just knowing the divine order that God established. And the divine order is God first, husband second, kid last. And many times we get that confused and we do everything for the kid and around the kid and we haven't nurtured this. And a really um, awesome couple helped us early on and challenged us when money was tighter in our life to budget a date night. And so very early on in preschool, we found a girl who we said, we are going to book you every Thursday night. And so just count on it. We're, you 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 got work for us every single Thursday night. Now, occasionally, we you know, that fell off. But every Thursday night, we left. We left the kid. We left. Kids, um, we left them and we went and we did something together and we nurtured this because this needed nurturing as much as anything. Um, so I just really encourage you to do that um, and continue, you know, continue to to look after those things. So,
0: and number one is expecting your kids to do things differently than you do, and this is the whole, you know, Matthew. There's a number of verses, Matthew seven, where it talks about you know, he who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like a wise man you know, who builds his house on the rock when the rains fell and the storms came and the winds blew, you know, slammed against the house. The house didn't fall. And the foolish man who hears the words and doesn't act on them. And so, you know, your kids are going to model what you do. Uh, you know, one uh, Corinthians eleven one. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, they're watching you regardless of what you say. Uh, uh, Albert Schweitzer said, "Example is not the main thing in influencing others; it's the only thing." And we look at, for a lot of us, you know, we are a product of really the environment we grew up in, and then we go through a journey to wrestle through. And, and our kids have imperfect parents in ways that we fail, but just making sure that uh, what you're trying to teach is what you're modeling. Uh, you know, one of the things we did early on, Lucene and I uh, grew up in in households where we watched a lot of television. And so when we were married, before we had kids, you know, uh, we watched a lot of TV. And so when we had kids, uh, we made the decision that uh, because of where we were and the habits we had, uh, we were not going to have cable. And uh, yeah. We had a uh, we had an antenna in our attic that could pick up you know two or three different channels for a while, uh, but uh, it was so great because what it did is it weaned me and us off of really a, I think a dependency that we had that we'd grown up with and it really took having kids to go cold turkey and do that, uh, you know I mean for you all just how much time do you spend on your iPhone, I heard that mentioned a while ago. Uh, you know, on your computer, on Facebook, and you know, if you expect, expect your kids to grow up and do something different, you're just fooling yourself. Uh, this whole, uh, you know, just even with the cell phones ringing, you know, and we try to be very purposeful in. If I'm engaged in a conversation, we're at dinner, you know, I don't care who's calling, I'm not going to answer my phone. And But if I, every time my phone rings, I answer, you know, and my kids are watching that, why would I expect them uh, to assume that that's okay and just do something different than that? Again, texting and all of that. Our kids help me greatly, uh, you know, at the dinner table because they would, I would have it there and it would buzz, you know, and I'd have to look just, you know, and it's like, and again, it's a great way where your kids can help you, giving their, them permission even at an early age, you know, to just, hey, when you see me do things that are inconsistent with what, what I tell you, would you love your mom and dad enough just to tell us? Because, uh, you know, we, we want to be practicing the things that we're teaching you. Uh, the the whole technology area, you know, so much of that permeates what we've already talked about, just shepherding their hearts, um uh, uh, you know, one of the things that we did just as they grow in faithfulness, you know, especially the whole computer realm, uh, you know, having them out in the open. Uh, We started with Be Safe, you know, the, the technology where they can't get to certain places. Then as they get older, okay, we gave them a little bit more rope. With Jordan, you know, I had a software that uh, it was kind of like Covenant Eyes where he could go anywhere he wanted, but I could periodically check and just see where he'd been. And he knew that, and he didn't know when I was going to check. And to the point where uh, relationally, as they continue to grow now, what Jordan and I do, I very regularly ask him, hey, you know, what have you looked at lately? Is there anything that you've seen that would be dishonoring to God? And and what I tell Jordan every time I ask him, and and we get a whole lot more specific than that in this group. I won't go into what all the questions are, but I say, and by the way, the best way you can love your dad is to ask me the same questions I'm asking you, and then ask me if I've lied or deceived you in any way and how I responded. And so it's just really great. Again, it's what as as the kids get older, it's what a friend would do, but. Uh, you know the whole one of the things Lucina and I would encourage you to is just put a lot of that technology off as long as you can. Uh, once they get into high school, they're gonna have to have and, and maybe middle school, I don't know email accounts. Uh, we still, I can access our kids' email. Uh, I can get on their Facebooks, so I've got their passwords, we you know we're friends of theirs. I never do it anymore. I mean, I'll look at their Facebook pages. For fun, because of the relationship, and they're off at school. But again, just uh, uh, shepherding their hearts and them as they grow and get to use some of these freedoms in the same way um, that you do in other realms. What would you add to that, honey? I I
1: had something Uh, in my mind, but I forgot what it was. The the
0: only other thing I was when, uh, and and I'll close with this story when Audrey was, uh, because it is about you know doing what we tell our kids. Um, to do when she was 15, uh, I'd gone to a. I took Audrey to breakfast one time, and uh, I, I thought, you know, I just need to be more purposeful with her and in inviting her in because I get to do that so much with Jordan, uh, as a guy. And so we had breakfast, and I just said, Hey, Audrey, uh, you, you know, how do you think I'm doing as a dad? And she said, I, I think you're doing good. And I said, Well, are there specific things that you see uh, that I'm inconsistent in? And she said, Yes. <laughs> and i said well well what and she said well dad uh, you're always in a hurry and you always want to be places on time and so what i've noticed you do is that if something starts at nine o'clock you tell us it starts at 8 45 just so that we can be out of the house 15 minutes early and so you lie and she said that so that we can be on time and uh she said i, I see you do that consistently And I just thought, man. And so it was so great because I got to number one affirm her in just the ways that uh, she helped me. I got to ask for forgiveness from her, but I also was reminded of the ways that you know what we really some of the folks that can help me most are my kids. And so again, just cultivating that freedom of making sure that uh, uh, that you not only model but you invite your kids in because the blind spot is so big. Uh, And I can guarantee you they're going to see it uh, much more clearly than you ever will.
1: I will say what I was going to tell you. I remember now, thankfully. Um, You might make a note of this. I would go to randyalcorn.blogspot.com. Wow, that's a mouthful. Um, On July 29th, he did a great blog on this whole technology Mm. issue. He was specifically addressing television but a lot of other things. And it's just a great... It's, what he does is take you as a parent through a question of how you deal with this issue before you then begin expecting and setting parameters as an, as for your children. So it's great. He has you keep a log of time you spend on TV, time you spend doing whatever. And, and it's a great way to begin to say, well, wow, i got to look at myself first before I can begin and expect things from my children. So, the, uh, the, Haley. Haley. The, uh, July 29th, 729 29 9 Mm-hmm. It's randyalcorn.blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. Randyalcorn.blogspot.com.
0: I'm just going to say one more thing, uh, ju- just as a reminder for you all. One of the things that Lucina and I talk about a lot are the with parenting or the bonus years. And what we mean by that is that the first 12 years of your kids' lives, uh, you are involved in in their lives at your option. And after 12 years old, you are involved in their lives at their option. And so uh, if you do the things that uh, God's wisdom has given us in those first 12 years, then you have a a good shot at getting into the bonus years. But if you don't, then it it is a tough road uh, after 12 years old to speak into your kids' lives.
1: But on that as well, I would also say I really love that passage from Joel, Joel 2.25. And it says, you know, there's ne- it's never too late for anything. It's never too late in your marriage. We're a good example of that. It's never too late in parenting to go in and own um, and recorrect a, a path that's gone wrong. It's never over Till it's over. And so it's it's not over. And you got to know that the Lord says, "I will give you back the years that the locusts." And the locusts in Old Testament can that was a that was a part of the of a curse. That was part of judgment that God used for the Israelites to say, "Whoa, got to get back on over here." And so what he promises in Joel is, "I'm going to give you back what they ate." Meaning, where I have messed it up, man, there's grace. And so I just have to say, "Wow, would you forgive me? I have Screwed this up royally, and I want to do this right. And so inform me now and help me get back on track.
2: Hello. I thought that was incredible, and it's funny, as I was sitting there, you know, I have a 16-year-old, a 9-year-old, well, 16, 12, and 9, and it was kind of almost being at a football game, and they were in the box seats, and I'm kind of working my way up to the top, and I so identified with Lucina when she was talking about how hard it is when your kids, I mean, I have a 16-year-old girl, and I've watched so many times. I mean, we just got finished with volleyball trials, and Sally was one of three juniors that made the the, the JV, and the other two juniors quit immediately because they couldn't be on the JV. And I watched my daughter process this, but the funny thing was she was like, Mom, I'm not going to quit. I mean, I'm hanging in there. I mean, I need to be a leader for these girls. And I, I found myself in my bedroom being worldly disappointed for 10 minutes. Not that she made JV, but I was just thinking oh, my gosh, I could have never done that. And just watching her in this process, it was like I was pained, not because she made JV because that was clearly the best spot for her, but watching her rise up because the world so tells you that, you know, you've got to make varsity and you've got to do this. And so it just, you know, I, I've just sat there and I thought you know that book Raising Your Children for True Greatness if you parents can get that in your heart now because true greatness is godly character traits and Sally so many times oh my goodness I mean she is so of the Lord because I just know in my who I was at that time would have been so different and I just see who Sally is and I'm so amazed that the Lord has just been so faithful but I love the fact that Lucina and Kyle talked about, too. I can tell that they... I'm telling you, if you get to those upper years and you don't have the relationship, you've got to incorporate that. I mean, I know when Sally walks into our home, she's one of these that says, Bueno! Or Greetings! I know when she got home because she knows our home is a safe place to fall. And it's a great place. She feels comfortable there. And she's so fun-loving. And I love that about her. And the the nights when she didn't get asked to a dance... It's okay to be with our family because we have the relationship and we're so intentional about laughter and having fun. So if you can remember those things now, building into that. And I will tell you, family dinners, it might be peanut butter and jelly. It doesn't matter what you're having. It matters that you're having it. And so that dinner time, I can't tell you enough. We do a high-low, and it's so fun to hear what that high-low is of the day because, guys, that is building in. I mean, family is where it's at. And I love the fact that Lucina and Kyle, I mean, they're approachable. I mean, when my kids come to me, my my daughter came to me not too long ago and said, Mom, all you do is iron. And I thought, wow, I do. And I said, thank you for loving me enough. I'm going to turn the iron off and so I get up earlier to get my ironing done because it's important to me. So it's kind of like one of those things, that I love the fact that she loved me enough to tell me. So, um, you know, I'm just saying, be, let your kids be approachable. I love to, I mean, I'm telling you, the success illusion, it tells us our kids have to be the smartest, they have to be the prettiest, they have to be the well, best dressed, the well but most connected. And guys, that's a lie. That is what the world tells us. Don't get sucked into that. And I'm telling you, the heart of the issue is about the heart, when they're talking about the four-year-old soccer, listen to the heart of the parents. Get the ball. Dude. I mean, I'm telling you, when it boils down to sometimes you got to step back. I had to apologize to some parents the other day because I felt like my heart was cloudy at the game because Sally was leading these you know, sophomore and ninth-grade girls, but when she got off the court, Nobody was leading, so I was feeling frustrated, and I thought, wow. I mean, I went, and this mother was like, what? And I said, my heart was cloudy, and I just want you to know, would you, you know, accept my apology? And she, you know, she's like, okay, but she didn't really see it, but I knew it was. Um, I think, too, it, and I'll tell you what that boils down to. It's conditional love. You know, make sure you're loving your children unconditionally. It doesn't matter if they make the A or the C. Be a student of your children. You can tell they know their kids so well because they've had that relationship with them. They're not trying to make their kids who they want them to be. They're discovering who God made them to be. And so that's the fun part about it. I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of what's so neat about Sally is she's one of those that clearly I uh, got a note in my bathroom the other day, wake me up at 7, it's picture day, and then she had ha-ha. And then she comes down, she's in a T-shirt, and her hair's pulled back, no makeup. And I said, oh, it's picture day. She said, yeah, it's picture day. She didn't care. Most girls were, you know, they were walking in all, you know, in dressed-up clothes. But that's not who Sally is. So that was kind of a, you know, she's just, that's who she is. Um, I love when they were talking, too, about forgiveness. Guys, I told my kids early on, forgiveness is like sticking a block of butter in the microwave. If you watch how fast that melts, that's how your heart melts when you humble yourself enough to go to your kids and say, Mommy messed up. Go to your spouse. I'm sorry. You know, I, I was irritated and blah, blah, blah. Come clean with that. Model that for your kids. I mean, that is one of the greatest things you can model is just forgiveness and restoration. And also the world is telling us that our kids, I'm telling you, our kids are growing up too fast. I mean, we're giving them... Cell phones and Facebook, and you know, it's just getting younger. Before long, your kids at a year or two will have a Facebook. I'm not kidding, it's coming to that, and I see it just you know, now that my son's in seventh grade and he doesn't have a cell phone, and I know it when I'm sitting at football waiting for him at five and he doesn't get out till six because. You know, he doesn't have any way to contact me. But it's okay. He comes out at 6, and I'm all smiles, and my face lights up like I'm so happy to see him. Not like I've been sitting there an hour, because we've just chosen that's not what we want to do. So I would just encourage you. I know a lot of you all have small children, but I'm telling you, everything they said, you know, tuck this away. Pull it out. I mean, when it goes back to truth, I will tell you, I was so – I used to give this example when I spoke. I was on an airplane the other day with my two kids, and they, it set on the deal – In case of loss of cabin pressure, if you're traveling with small children, be sure to secure your mask first. Guys, we've got to secure our mask with the Lord first, because we will do nothing for our children if we don't have our mask on and we're not, you know, reading truth and trying to implement in that children's life. You know, I love James 1:5 that uh, Lucina and Carl chose. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. He loves when you come before him and say, okay, Lord, I blew it. Or, Lord, give me wisdom here. I don't know what to do. Because I'm telling you, secure your masks first. Um, and I just, so we'll open up for questions. We've got a little bit of time. You need to get your kids in 10 minutes. But I just think they did a fabulous job. I made a lot of notes for myself. All
0: right. Thanks.
2: You've got a question. Just, yeah, just go ahead and say it, and then I'll. Okay, she's she's asking. Okay, she's asking about activities. If you have more than one child, how do you manage that many schedules? Yeah, You'll
0: go
1: first. <laughs> yeah, he's going to let me go first. Um, again, I regardless whether you have one child or six kids, I think you have to determine what are the non-negotiables first, and then. Um, you've got to figure out what fits into that for each child. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that there is a, fa- a hard and fast, I think the two of you have to sit down, you and your spouse, and you have to decide, okay, so for each child, because, I I mean, one of our close friends and people in our community is Alex Wagner, who has six kids. Well, what she allows Allie to do, and what who's the oldest, and what she allows Camp to do are at opposite ends of the spectrum. And so Camp doesn't need as much in, right now. And so you know, I don't know that there is a formula to apply on that. It simply is back to figure out first what is non-negotiable, and then what- what can I honestly physically get to i mean that's a that's a parameter right there um And I love that passage in Philippians that really speaks to, you know, let the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So you might try something once, and you might realize, I am frantic, I'm fanatic, I'm running from here to here to here, and I am not peaceful. Peace does not reign in my house. I think you try some things, and if you figure out we are not peaceful then you got to go, Psh, next semester we're jettisoning that one. So I would just say try some things. It starts smaller. It's always easier to add than it is to take away. So be careful and be cautious about starting with one thing, seeing how that goes before you say, well, you can do, you know, we only had two kids. So we, we kind of early on said one creative thing, one athletic thing. So we did piano and we did one sport. Or whatever. I mean, so, you know, or you did art in one sport. Or So I don't know what that is. I think each family has to decide what that is. And the bigger question is, does it deprive us of dinner together? Does it make Mommy crazy? Is she driving around like an idiot? Because if she is, there ain't nobody happy if Mama ain't happy. And so remember that one first.
0: Yeah. And that. And to just again, this is a role for community to play uh, in a in a big way because we are. Deli- it's so easy, you know. To it's the frog boil, you know. Just as Lucina said, you you can add things and not realize what's happening. And so just being very very purposeful in that, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is one of the ways that that happens with just good stuff.
1: Haley. Yeah. Okay, so Kaylee's question is I have a daughter who's opposite of me. Um, she is a clothes horse already. She's a model wannabe and she's four years old and that's the opposite of me and what do I do with that? And how do I how do I train that? And there's a daddy side to this. I'm going to look at my husband because I think there's a daddy part to that equation as well as the mama part. But she had Jordan. Jordan changed clothes ten times a day. I'm not joking you. I mean, ten times a day, this boy, because the world was a stage. And he was Spider-Man, and then he was Superman, and then he was the Batman, and then he was the the cowboy, and then he was the Indian. And then, I mean... And he wants to be an actor. So way back then, he was cultivating something. And so, again, you've got to figure that out. And, and what you've got to value, you know the answer, and you already articulated it. It's valuing that she is beautiful just as she is. And I think that's the big, and there's where your husband plays a way bigger role than you do. Um, so, really, it comes back to what can mom handle? I can only launder five outfits a day or something I mean you know if it's driving you crazy because of what it's creating then figure that out but otherwise you know if you can hang it back up in the closet it's not that dirty and it's okay And then shoot you know she is cultivating something that she's going to be someday but what she really needs to hear underlying as far as body image and etc. is mm-hmm. what dad? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Psalm, <laughs> Psalm 139 uh, you know, I wove you in my mother's womb. You know, but God made her the way she is, and again, just valuing and treasuring that because it is. In our culture, uh, you know, they are bombarded even at an early age. You know what what is valued, what's attractive, and so we have to go to the other extreme to to really, uh, again, being proactive and just making sure. And again, I thought it was great, Haley, because you don't want to just say, "All right." Everyone that does that five times a day is going to be have a problem with anorexia, you know, because you want to connect with a heart aspect and, and what's going on there, because it may be more of a creative manifestation versus, of you know, I want to make sure that I look pretty. And, and so just trying to connect again with not putting them in a box, but hey you know, connecting with where that heart is and then, and then shepherding it accordingly.
1: And I think what Kyle did really well for Audrey, now she wasn't the close one. She, again, she was cut dry, you know, so opposite end. But Audrey was um, from a very early age. She matured early. She was a little more filled out as a girl. Um, and so she had her brother's friends calling her fat, and a lot of other things early on that were imprinted. And so what Audrey had to, Audrey's struggle wasn't the clothes, but it was very much how I look. And what the world says is pretty, and I'm not that. And, and felt that all the way through high school. And so what her, what Kyle did so well was say, you are beautiful. And he would take her on dates and he would say, you're a princess. You're my princess, but better yet, you're the daughter of a king. And just continue to build in to who she was, not how she looked on the outside, and I think mean, that's what Rob, that's the gift Rob can give her, that you can't, you never can speak into that in the power that he can as a man, and so I would say, more importantly, get him in the process, and, and he needs to pick up the mantle of, you're beautiful, um, and, and talking to her heart, and her, her heart of beauty, as opposed to how she looks on the outside.
2: Yeah, and don't discount. I mean, I think that is what really defines who Sally is, too, is her relationship with her dad. They are so close, and he did such a great job of building into her early on with dates, with... You know, he decided. You know, whatever she liked to do. And I mean, I think if you, if a daughter, I'll tell you, as a 16-year-old, I look, and the girls that are the most insecure are the ones that really don't know really who's. It's like they're asking who they are, but the secure teenager knows who she is because mainly their dads have just embedded that in. You are Christ child. I mean, of course, mothers play a big role in that too, but don't. I mean, dads step up to the plate. If you've got little girls, you know, date them knock on the door, get them, let them, you know, take them out to dinner, open the door, pull out the chair. I mean, and that starts as early as 2 and 3 and 4, I mean, if they have a special time. Okay, it's almost 12. So if y'all have any questions, they'll be up here. One more. Go ahead.
1: Okay, so Sunshine's question is, um, six-year-old, public school, got a friend um, that, my daughter was going to play with the mom comes over. I see dynamics and see things that are not going to, they're not what we want to model. And so, what do I do about that? How do how do I how do I discourage this friendship that the mom of the child is going to continue to encourage and want? Do you want to say something first? Or do you want me to?
0: You go first. Okay. Then just... So
1: here's what I would say to that, and th- this is a big challenge. And uh, I'm going to tell you that I whiffed in this area. Um, when Jordan was in second grade. And I I think there's a couple of things that are at play in that scenario. And the first is, especially when you're in public school, I think the greatest thing that we are and do is the fragrant aroma of Christ to those who do not believe. And we are calling them to believe. And so you are going to rub up against and bump up against all kinds of stuff. And that's a great early Mm -hmm. on example of something. I think even more importantly is recognizing what we can bring to them not how they would pull us down. And so and there's it's a it's a, it's a delicate balance um, and what you got to talk about with your child is as they leave and maybe having some limits on what that's like but we cut off a friendship in second grade because of that reason. I thought, "Oh my goodness. You know, Jordan had gone to spend the night with this little boy and they had a, and he Jordan called us and like the boy wanted to watch an R-rated movie in second grade." And so, we were I was just I reacted. I don't even remember how Colin and I talked about it, I'm like, "Okay, he can't be friends with that kid anymore." You know what? That kid was a problem all the way into high school and he was crying out and we missed the opportunity to be Christ, to be light. To be salt, to be light, and so don't do what I did and miss and whiff it completely. But instead, see how can we build in, and then how can we talk to our child about X, Y, and Z after that and say, you know, Susie and her mom did you see what happened? And how did they go? And how is that different than what Mommy and does with what we do? And you know what? Let's pray for them. And get your child involved right then with being a part of the solution of offering Christ and the hope that we have in Him that's the solution for what you see.
0: Yeah. And I think, too, just managing the environment. You know, that's what we did is when we had, you know, we it was always great dialogue when our kids... You know, had kids that flagrantly and openly valued other things, and so we wanted we wanted to th- for that to happen on our turf. And we did have situations where, you know, we wouldn't let our kids spend the night for various reasons. We talk through that, uh, you know, because of what uh, we'd have discussions. You know, if someone asked to spend the night, engage. What what's the plan? What are you gonna do? You know, what just being knowledgeable, and we typically would even try to engage, you know, with the parents. Lucina and I would be very purposeful if our kids were gravitating towards someone that we would have the family over and engage with them and try to uh, be as proactive as we could.
2: And that friendship may be that they just come to your house. Like I I think they're saying when they're young like that, you may just say, you know and and have it in your home, because I guarantee you kids like that that are in homes where they're not you know modeling Christ, they will want to come to your house. I mean we had that last year, and they were you know the little girl always like to ask your mom if I can come over and she was like, "I wish my mom were home. she would say things to grace, so you know you have such an opportunity and the de- de- the defining thing is it may just be at your house and not you know you may say, well, she can't come today, she has this or that so Like they're saying, don't miss the opportunity because I've been put with that too, and that's great advice.